good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ian. Today's installment in our discipleship series will be taught by one of our elders, Chris Kuzak. Chris will help us to see the pattern in the New Testament teaching that focuses more than on just correct thinking, but on correct living as well. Thanks for joining us today as we see that this necessary component to our discipleship means that we have to embrace sound doctrine that leads to an indoctrination of Christian living. Morning. Thank you guys for coming. Um, just really quick before we get started, I just uh, want to thank Phil and everybody that's, you know, leading and participating in this service. It's, uh, it's hard when we're, uh, we're all laymen and, uh, you know, we pay a guy to do this. And he's not here. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, I appreciate everybody's, uh, everybody's help. Um, I, was, uh, I was tempted to call today's sermon, uh, hashtag he gets us. I, I don't know. Does anybody, everybody know what I'm talking about? The commercial, right. So it's got everybody stirred up. If you spend any time online, um, you'll see multiple conversations about it. Um, I'll just say that, uh, you know, I, I could have done a, a sermon and I got a lot, a lot of thoughts on it, but, um, Yes, Jesus gets us. I think that's true. But that's about an eighth of the gospel message right there. And that is the problem, right? Um, you see Jesus washing the feet of unrepentant sinners. That's not biblical. Um, and that, I bring it up because that is uh, really a symptom. It's a perfect illustration of what happens when you don't have correct indoctrination. When you have, I want, I'll, I'll go out on a limb and assume those people that put that, by the way, that was like $100 million they spent on that campaign. Um, I'll go out on a limb and say they did it with good intention, um, that they know Jesus and they want others to know Jesus. But you're not going to get anybody saved by preaching an eighth of the gospel. It's not going to happen. The message I take away from that commercial is Jesus loves me and I can do what I want. And we know that is not biblical, right? Um, so the, the actual title of today's sermon is Indoctrination of the Truth. Um, in the world's vernacular currently, indoctrination is a bad thing, right? Um, this is because the world's idea of indoctrination really um, is that it happens. It's teaching or learning without critical thinking uh, or evidence, um, on the part of the indoctrinated, right? So you'll often hear it used when discussing religion, but that religion then gets lumped in with cults. Um, it's used to describe handing down of, you know, questionable, questionable moral generational beliefs and activities like racism. Um, the world will tell you that nothing good comes from indoctrination. In his book, The God Delusion, prominent atheist Richard Dawkins uh, said, do not indoctrinate your children. Teach them how to think for themselves, how to evaluate evidence, and how to disagree with you. Oh, it's going to get worse. I'm quoting some other people, too. so Not, not just Richard Dawkins, the atheist. Um, so first off, we can throw out that last line, because I have never met a child 
who wasn't born with an innate ability to disagree with uh, his parents or any other adult. That comes naturally, so they don't need to be taught that. Um, but it may actually surprise you that I, I actually agree with most of Dawkins' statement here. Uh, in fact, I think I agree with it a lot more than Dawkins does, believe it or not. Um, when a Christian talks about indoctrination, we're talking about establishing uh, knowledge on the evidence of God's word. And that's the part that Dawkins misses and most atheists miss. We have evidence, and it's God's word, and it's, it's good evidence, right? So it's a, it's a false uh, statement when an atheist talks about indoctrination in terms of religion because they're accusing us of, you know, falsely of uh, basing our knowledge on faith alone. That is not what we do. We have God's word. Uh, so here's the thing, though. Dawkins, uh, nor any other atheist, they're not against indoctrination, uh, in the way that they define it. When Dawkins tells us uh, not to indoctrinate our children, he's implying that we should allow our children to be nurtured in how they think in a neutral environment, um, you know, free from the influence of those around them. But neutrality is a myth. Um, because when we send our children to public schools, they're not, they're not teaching them how to think. Uh, they're presenting them with Facts, right, uh, that entirely omit God's uh, involvement in the universe. It's God is nowhere to be found in those facts. Now, those facts may be right or wrong. The point is they don't give a foundation for those facts. So Dawkins is not really against indoctrination. He's against religious indoctrination, and he's very much in support of secular indoctrination. Um, we all need to be aware of this natural tendency of all sinful humans to want to influence our children into their own way of thinking. Uh, that includes parents who homeschool even. Uh, if you're a homeschool parent, make sure that you're teaching your kids uh, that God's word is the source of, source of truth um, and not that I believe this so you should believe this. That, that, you know, that it's a subtle difference, but they need to know that God's word is the foundation and not just that I know this from God's word. Hopefully those two things align, uh, but they need to know that God's word is a, is a source of truth. Um, <laughs> if, if you aren't sure that it matters, here's a quote that might change your mind from a world leader who rose to fame in the late 1930s. He alone who owns the youth gains the future. Anybody know who said that? Hitler, Hitler said that, that's right. Um, the world wants your kids for its own evil purposes, and that is why proper biblical indoctrination of your kids matters. But it's not just for the kids, it's for all of us, obviously. Um, all disciples need to be taught how to live as disciples the way the Bible directs us. Uh, if you read the Old Testament, the first thing you'll come to realize about humans in the first couple pages is that we're sinful. And the very next thing you'll come to realize is we don't give up our sin very easily. That's why we need Jesus, right, to reconcile us to God the Father. But from that reconciliation, a heart change occurs, and the Holy Spirit enters us, causing us to live differently. Knowing how to live differently is where biblical indoctrination comes in. So, our scripture reading for today is Titus 2, if you want to turn there in your Bible. Um, we're we're going to read the whole, it's a, it's a short chapter, so we'll read the whole thing. So this is Paul talking to Titus and, and telling him how to indoctrinate the church. Titus 2. 
You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, to not talk back to them, to not, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Okay, so um, if you look at your, uh, your sermon notes, you'll see I've got a brief review at the top there. Um, does anybody remember what orthodoxy is? So this, was, this came up, I think, back in July or August we taught Orthodoxy is correct belief. So when we talk about uh, orthodoxy, we're talking about the Bible and our belief in the Bible and God's word. Orthopraxy, anybody remember that one? That's conduct. That's action. Correct conduct. It requires indoctrination. Indoctrination is orthopraxy anchored in orthodoxy. In other words... Uh, indoctrination is action based on correct belief. So, let's go to observations. And uh, really my observation isn't so much based on the Titus passage, but uh, it's really important that we understand the why uh, behind the biblical indoctrination uh, rather than the how. Um, both are important, but I, I, think, I think to really understand why it's important, we need to look at that. Um, the Bible, you know, in, in Titus 2 and lots of other places gives us pretty much uh, a pretty thorough teaching on, you know, what God expects from us. But why is the question. If we're already saved through Jesus' sacrifice, and we know from Paul that our works are like filthy rags, um, why is the Bible full of, you know, telling us what to do and how to live? Uh, why do we got to follow the, you know, the... Ten Commandments and all that stuff. Um, if we look at the, the passage that we just read in Titus 2, if you start at verse 11, I'll just reread that. Uh, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing 
of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So, again, Paul is not talking about do this, get saved. He's saying you've been saved. Do This is how you need to act now. Um, there are so many Christians who get this wrong. And uh, it can be really confusing, myself included. Like, it, it can get twisted very easily. That's the devil's first point of attack, I think, is uh, getting these two things flipped. Um, you're saved, then you work. Not the other way around. So if you're confused like me when you, you, know, you come to church every week and the preacher says, you're not saved by works, here's all the work you need to do. <laughs> right? That's, uh, that seems a bit confusing. So I'm going to try to unpack that a little bit. Um, anytime we see instruction in the New Testament, there can be a natural tendency to conflate it with the law given in the Old Testament. Uh, and anytime we talk about the Old Testament law, we start to assume that it was the method given to the Jews to obtain salvation that it was their method of salvation before the incarnation of Christ. But that's not really correct, is it? If it was, there'd be no Old Testament prophets in heaven. King David was a sinner. Moses was a sinner. Uh, Their souls would be in hell right now. Is that what we think? I don't. Um, They were saved through faith, just like we are. Paul says in Galatians 3.11 that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. When Paul says that in the New Testament, he's actually quoting the Old Testament prophet, prophet Habakkuk. That's from Habakkuk, before Jesus. So it's always been by faith. Um, so faith has always been God's means of salvation. What's the reason for the law? Why do we still study the Old Testament? Um, why do we need to keep the Ten Commandments, commandments? And why do we teach our confirmands the Ten Commandments? Um, you know, why, why do we have all these New Testament moral teachings telling us how to act all the time? The law is and always has been relevant because it is our teacher. It shows us God's holiness and our sinfulness. That's what the law is for. It's, it's, it's a teacher. It's a mirror. It shows us. Uh, you'll, you'll hear the quote, and I don't know whose quote it was, but uh, I think Ryan has even mentioned a few times, you don't use a mirror to find, you know, uh, the problem, you know, a pimple on your face and then take the mirror off the wall to try to fix it. The, the law is a mirror. It's not the, it's not the tool to correct our uh, ungodliness and damnation. Um, it really... Uh, it's really important because we need, we need to know why Christ had to, to die for us. And the law shows us, uh, you know, just how far away from God our sinfulness actually puts us. And therefore, just how much Jesus' sacrifice has to cover. So, uh, likewise, the instruction um, we have all throughout the New Testament teaches us how to act in our faith. Why? The key is really in verse 14 of, of Titus 2. Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us uh, from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. We are being purified, sanctified in our time here on earth in order to do good works. So uh, let's move on to, I'm sorry, the, the 
notes uh, good works and obedience proceed from faith. That should be the answer to that one. I was going to do notes on the screen, but I just didn't get around to it. <laughs> um, so we'll move on to conclusions. Um, number one, our primary good work should focus on honoring God. Uh, disobedience is not just doing the wrong things, it's neglecting to do the right things, not using your gifts. We pray every week, uh, forgive us for the things we've done and the things we've left undone. And we've discussed it many times as a body of believers, as a diverse, you know, in our skills, resources, personalities. But there's one thing everybody here has in common, we're all sinners saved by grace. Uh, And because we're sinners, our natural tendency our carnal tendency is to act sinfully. Uh, have you ever have you ever gotten a dog from the shelter? We got we got a dog. He's a ninety pound puppy named Moose. We brought him home. He was eight months old, and he peed everywhere in the house, and he ate the furniture. He jumped on people, and I'm happy to say, after a year and a half, he's still doing all of that. <laughs> The problem with Moose, he was doing those things for eight months before we got him. Uh, he was not taught proper behavior when he was a little puppy, when, uh, when it would have been easy, right? Uh, it only gets more and more difficult to break bad habits uh, the longer it goes on. Uh, think about how you were before you came to Christ. I hated the church. I hated whenever somebody tried to talk to me about God. I drank and I swore. And frankly, I was... I was cruel to people. I, not everybody. I was, I was very cruel to some people, though. Um, fortunately for us, we've got a much better teacher than Moose does. And I'm not talking about me, and I'm not talking about Ryan. We've got the Holy Spirit. When God saved me, I continued to do all those things for a while. But something was very different. Um, there was a nagging at my heart, right? Uh, it was the Holy Spirit. It encouraged me to come to the church. It convinced me to stop drinking and start loving people. But it took years before I finally relented and gave up on those behaviors and started coming to church. But even then, I didn't know how to act uh, until I began to attend church regularly and study the Word until I became indoctrinated in the truth. I did not know how to live in the world as a son of the one who saved me. And I'm still learning. Number two, If the Holy Spirit resides in you, the Holy Spirit will emanate from you. So, just like we saw from Richard Dawkins, right? The the world is eager eager to indoctrinate us uh, through, uh, although the the world refuses to call it indoctrination, um, they're calling it neutrality. That's a myth. Uh, The point is that nobody is coming into the world in a state of neutrality, right? Uh, regardless of regarding sin and righteousness, right? We're not born empty. We're not born neutral. We're born bad. Uh, so it's not like we're empty and whoever fills us first wins, whether it's you know the good dog or the bad dog on your shoulder. That's that's not how it works. We're born bad by default because we're sinners, uh, and the world's going to make sure it just gets worse. Um, the Holy Spirit is the only one that can force out the bad indoctrination and replace it with good indoctrination. Uh, okay, we'll talk about moose again. And I just want to say, 
This is a disgusting analogy. Um, it's probably going to offend some of you. I'm okay with that. I don't think it's any worse than the phlegm analogy you heard last week if you were here. It might be, but <laughs> it's fine. Um, so we actually have two dogs. Uh, our second dog's name is Peach. She's actually the older dog. I think she's around 10 maybe. Um, she's a little high strung, but she's a sweetheart. So Moose has this terrible habit, and it's that he loves to eat Peach's poop. Um, <laughs> yeah, I told you. I warned you. Um, I have to go out with them when they go potty because I have to hold Moose back. He loves it that much. Like, I have to hold him while she's pooping in the yard. And uh, otherwise, he just, he'll, he'll knock her right off her stance and, and go in there for the, for the bounty. <laughs> it's, it's a horrific thing to watch. <laughs> yeah. But it's worse, you know, it's worse is when he comes in and he wants to sit by you on the couch and lick your face, right? <laughs> That's where it gets bad. So the point of that disgusting story, it illustrates uh, the break in fellowship. We will experience with believers and non-believers alike who, when we are disobedient. That's Moose's disobedience, and it creates a stench, right? Uh, when we emanate the stench of disobedience, um, we're not going to have any success whatsoever in accomplishing any good works for the kingdom of God. We will push people away. I still love Moose when he does this, to be clear. And I would never abandon him because of his bad behavior, just like God won't abandon us. But when, but when it comes to the stink of eating his little sin pile there, um, I don't want to be near him. It's a break in fellowship. Um, that's something we all need to think about in our relationship, not only with other people, but with God. Uh, the only one who can clean that stench uh, of sin and disobedience from us is the Holy Spirit. He will convict us. He will encourage us. Uh, but we need to be obedient in order to accomplish anything good because our own strength, we can do nothing good. Uh, make sure that what emanates from you is pleasing to God. Uh, Psalm 73.26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Okay, conclusion three. There is no version of discipleship where you simply attend church. The church is the body of Christ, we know this, and as such, we represent him in all we do. Uh, and God has given us all a collective job to do, to go and make disciples of all nations. That's Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. When we talk about doing good works, that's the big one that God has laid out for us in advance. In Ephesians 2, Verse 10, Paul tells us, For we are God's handiwork, created in Jesus Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's not optional. It's part of the deal. And that's why indoctrination is so important uh, to this mission, because the way we live is our testimony to others. And that's how we make disciples. Now, if you imagine if I tried to disciple somebody, after being saved, but before I, you know, straightened up and quit drinking, um, it'd be a lot like moose, you know, coming in wanting to lick my face. Um, would that work? Probably not. I mean, uh, just to be clear, God can do it that way, 
and you know it said that God can you know he can strike straight blows with crooked limbs, but that's not his design, right? His design is for us to be purified, sanctified, and go and make disciples. So, what good is the Holy Spirit if we refuse its work? Uh, if we refuse to encourage one another? What good is our salvation if we don't seek to grow closer to God? Proverbs 26.7 says, Like the useless legs of one who is lame is a proverb in the, word, in the mouth of a fool. We have all this. We're supposed to use it, right? Faith without, without action is dead, as James tells us in uh, 2.17. So we need to uh, make an intentional effort to put our faith into action. Okay, wrapping it up here. I have one very simple application for you. You are God's child. Act like it. Um, Yeah. Indoctrination of truth is really about obedience, right? Uh, It's not just about immersing ourselves in God's truth, but also applying God's instruction to us to do his work that he's laid out for us if we're to claim adoption into god's family uh, we should set our eyes on honoring uh, what he has done for us the best way to do that is to live the way christ commands us and the best way to know how christ commands us is to live uh, us excuse me the best way to know how christ commands us to live is to be indoctrinated in the truth through prayer study fellowship as part of christ's body this is where it happens, right? You get trained here, you get put together here, you get indoctrinated here, you go out there and you make disciples. That's what it's for. Uh, I'll close with uh, a passage from 2 Corinthians. Uh, it's chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this teaching today. Um, We would just ask that you... You continue to be with us. Uh, We ask for your Holy Spirit to guide us in all we do. And we acknowledge, Lord, that in in our sinfulness and brokenness, there is nothing we can do that is good and pleasing to you. It all comes from you, Lord. And we thank you that you've brought your Holy Spirit into us. We thank you that Jesus died to save us. We thank you, God, for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.